This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're right here every day bringing you the latest news from the worlds of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Business Week reporters and editors. And of course, Carol, that's part of a team of 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. And Jason, you can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio every weekday. Or watch us on YouTube by searching Bloomberg Global News. So, Jason, I know you've been busy, um, and we're going to talk a lot more about LeBron later, but there have been a lot of virus headlines today. We've got New York moving to phase three. That starts on July 6th. You've had Texas's governor halt new phases of reopening in its state economy, also suspending elective surgeries in a bunch of big cities. And Florida, once again, showing a really big jump in new cases. So lots of headlines. Jason Farley is a professor of nursing and infectious disease trained nurse epidemiologist and a nurse practitioner in the Division of Infectious Diseases at the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing and Medicine, the Bloomberg School of Public Health. I just want to remind everybody, supported, of course, by Michael R. Bloomberg, founder of Bloomberg LP and Bloomberg Philanthropies. Jason, joining us on the phone from Baltimore. Jason, it is great to have you here with us. Help us make sense of these headlines. You know, we are increasingly moving towards reopening. Most folks, CEOs and the like, even people from the medical community like yourselves, come on and say, we've got to move towards reopening. But how do you, you know, cross that with the increases we're seeing in some of the states around the country? Yeah, I think uh, we have to look uh, at the data so far. And the fact of the matter is, is that the places that reopened early and fast are the ones seeing most of the spikes. Um, you know, th- there was a lot of delay in California, and so they're a little bit of an anomaly in those in the areas that we're seeing because they were more um, methodical in their reopening. But um, what we're seeing is this return to normal life in many jurisdictions, and as a result, a return to the need to lock down in, se- in several of these spots. Um, Houston just noting specifically this really big rollback. Uh, my brother's right now in Houston for some cancer-related treatment, and and you know he's reporting that you know they're now messaging in the city right now that you know we're about to think about canceling elective surgery, like you mentioned, and other related um, rollbacks. So it, the, the, our decisions to open up too fast have you know ultimate consequences. And so. What do we do at this point? Because I know, Jason, there is real reluctance to completely shut down. But is that potentially the only choice from a medical perspective? And I think most importantly, and you know this better than I, from just a capacity perspective and a bed perspective. Yeah, and I think, you know, what what, what places are seeing in terms of our, our concern really is can we meet the demand of hospitalizations and ultimately the demands of ICUs? It's the same concern that it was before. And while we're better prepared in terms of PPE and, and ventilator capacity, we are not better co- prepared in relation to surge capacity, mm. right? So we still have the same number of beds we've always had. We've turned other units into you know, more functional ICU-like units and, and offered more ventilator capacity in many settings. So those are all good things, and so we're better prepared. But we also still have a limited bandwidth in terms of the total bed capacity, the total health workforce capacity. And so when we see large spikes in cases, uh, particularly large spikes in cases that result in substantial increases in hospitalization, it's the question at hand is can the health system you know, 
deal with that surge? And if so, is there any associated excess mortality in cases that may be delayed, in cases that may not receive optimal levels of treatment? Well, that's interesting, and that's where I wanted to get to, um, Jason, if, if I may, is that in terms of treatment, though, it feels like we are making some progress with treatments for those who might have a moderate case or, you know, um, a severe case. And so maybe that is helping kind of stem some of the increases in the number that ultimately have to be in the hospital for a long time. Yeah, so our, our biggest um, recent advance has been the data that came out on dexamethasone. Right. Now, yeah, dexamethasone is a great, you know, very cheap, very available steroid. And what that data showed us is that basically patients who needed mechanical ventilation, about 29% better mortality than in patients who uh, did not receive the drug. So so that's at least a glimmer of hope for patients who need mechanical ventilation. And then in patients who needed oxygen, supplemental oxygen support. So they they weren't quite at a point of ventilation, but they were sick enough to need hospitalization and oxygenation. And in those patients, one in five or 20% actually improved uh, using the drug compared to those who did not receive the drug. However, there was no benefit whatsoever in patients with more mild or moderate that had not yet needed hospitalization and not yet needed oxygenation. So what we've seen is that if you are sick enough to need oxygenation, there is a benefit, and sick enough to need mechanical ventilation is even a bigger benefit. So what that does, the drug does, is basically quiets the immune system, right? It helps our bodies begin to heal but not over-respond. Let's get back to our conversation with Dr. Jason Farley, professor at Johns Hopkins University School of Nursing and the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. As you can probably tell by the name, it's supported by Mike Bloomberg, founder of Bloomberg Philanthropies and Bloomberg LP, the parent of this radio station. Jason, got to talk vaccines here. We hear so much about development. We hear about all the various things going on, some great collaboration going on across the world. What's realistic here? Yeah, well, we are hearing some some glimmers of hope. You know, we got the the Moderna vaccine that is moving into phase three trials, um, and that's great because that's the final efficacy kind of level trial that we need. Does it work? Does it not? You know, the phase one and phase two are really about safety and what we would call immunogenicity. So, does it does a vaccine actually produce an immune response? And so we've gotten the great data from that. The phase two study from Moderna has been completely enrolled. It enrolled in like really, really accelerated speed, less than two weeks, I believe, um, which is all great news. That means we'll get answers about it, how good its impact on the immune system is. But what we really must have to know for sure is this phase three, 30,000 people study um, that will begin enrolling in July. All right. So walk us through that and understand and, and explain the timetable for that one, because this is this is to make sure it's really safe with lots of people. Yeah, absolutely. So the FDA cleared in May that particular vaccine candidate. And there, there are many. So we are focused on just one at the moment. Right. But so so with this particular vaccine candidate, they cleared it in May, gave it a dosing structure of 100 micrograms to get the dose up for two vaccines, one 28 days apart. And then they're going to follow this cohort of patients for uh, 12 months after those two vaccinations. And so they'll be looking at everything from does an immune response occur after vaccine, which we expect that it will, and then how long does that last? And so ultimately, one of the things that influences the speed in which we get answers 
is how many cases of coronavirus we have. Because the lower the population incidence, right, the, the higher the number of people they have to enroll to find new cases. Mm-hmm. So that's, re- that's really critical. So, so that's why a worldwide study, that's why, you know, uh, you know, as many places that we can get, so some that have high incidence, some that have low incidence, is going to be really critical. It's interesting that you bring that up. And I was watching um, a local news, not a local, a network news piece last night, and they were talking about, I think it was a lot of testing that's also going in, I think, was it Africa, um, where they've lined up a lot of people. I mean, is this what's involved? Like, we have to do this on a global scale? Absolutely. I mean, we need to know, because we've got to remember, does the vaccine work? is the first question mm-hmm. is how does it work and how much how much of an immune response do we get how long does it last and then does it work equally in all people in all populations right because there could uh-huh. be subtle differences genetically from a host yeah. perspective so us as humans that that we need to just ensure that there is no difference in response across the world so so wait wait so then what does it mean if this goes through then we get it when maybe yeah <laughs> So, you know, I think that's the $6 billion, billion dollar question, uh, you know. Um, so obviously the FDA is going to be paying very, very close attention to right. this study. And, and it's gotten already accelerated, uh, you know, status in terms of moving forward to production. Um, so the question is, you know, what's the incidence in that location? How, how many cases are expected in the placebo group? How many expected in the actual intervention group? And then how many do we actually see? And based on that data, the Data Safety Monitoring Board, which is the group that says, hey, we, we have enough data that we can stop this study and we can stop it early because we are sure of the answer, right. will be following to tell us the answer to that question. So could it be the end of the year? <laughs> I'm not going to let this go. Could it be the end of the year? Could it be, or is it, or is it more likely early next year? I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking a landscape that's really into 2020, and I wouldn't okay. even use the word early. You mean 2021? 2021, yes, yeah. 2021. Okay. Interesting. So, Dr. Jason Farley, last question for you. Only about a minute left, and you probably don't even need that much time. What do we need to do in the meantime? Because what Carol and I keep saying on air and to words. each other, wear a mask. <laughs> Three words. Yeah, absolutely. Common sense is what we need to do. There are the two um, words. Where, absolutely. All right. Very good. Thank you so much. Great really good to catch stuff. up with you. And uh, thanks for bouncing along with us as we try and figure out this this new world. You're on the front lines of this. And uh, we always appreciate our friends down at John Ho- Johns Hopkins uh, sharing their insights with us. Dr. Jason Farley, professor at Johns Hopkins University School of Nursing, Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, of course, supported by Mike Bloomberg. Carol? That gives me some optimism. And the thing yeah. is, Moderna is doing one, but remember, we've had guests on too that just, and as, as Jason pointed out, that there are, we know, like 200 plus, you know, um, cases where people are pursuing different types of vaccines. And then there's probably equally that many just going after different types of treatments, you know, to deal with the, the virus at different stages. So there's got to be something that comes out of this. Yeah. I Everybody think so many people this. are just hoping for, you know, an almost like cinematic miracle. And look, maybe it'll happen, you know, that some, there will be with all these brains focused on it, there'll be some breakthrough uh, that helps us solve this. I mean, here's yeah. hoping for sure. Yeah. I do believe in science. So I do too. That's a good thing. I'm an optimist too, and uh, I really love to see everybody well, kind of working was on the, this. Uh, what resilient was the term that, optimist. Resilient optimist. That was good. Mindy Grossman. That's another T-shirt. Exactly. So many T-shirts. <laughs> this is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly 
on Bloomberg Radio. The cover story you might have heard in Bloomberg Business Week this week. It's all about LeBron James and Maverick Carter, the company that they're building, a big multimedia extravaganza that I pulled off with my very good friend, Joel Weber, who is the most patient man on the planet. Before we get to him, let's listen to a little bit of that interview. There is something about this company that feels not to be glib about it, but very L.A. in, in many ways, walking around, see, well, seeing people. What do you take from sort of L.A. that informs what this has become? It all stemmed from, from my upbringing. It all stemmed from, from Akron. It all stemmed from all these people that we've met along the way that grow up in similar situations. And, and for us, when, we're, when we talk about storytelling, we want to be able to, to hit home, hit a lot of homes where they feel like they can be just as part of that story or they feel like, oh, you know what? I can relate to that story because I am someone that's going through that same situation. So, you know, being authentic mm -hmm. to what we do as far as if it's, you know, TV, if it's uh, digital, if it's uh, if it's apparel, whatever the case may be, just trying to to hit home on in, in living rooms, you know, and, and families and households. And we've been able to capture that because our stories are very authentic. So, you know, it, it's because we're here in LA and we use a lot of facilities that's here, right. you know, uh, you know that that is the correlation with that. But as far as what we do, um, you know, it's very organic, organic to you know to our upbringing. It's the platform, but also it's the when you grow up like LeBron and I did. It's more than anything, honestly, it's the exposure mm -hmm. because when you grow up in a place like we are, no matter how talented you are, no matter how good you are at something and you believe it, if you don't even know things exist, then, and you're not exposed to them, then there's no way for you to ever even feel empowered because you're like, I'm confined to this small world. And exposed. because of him, as I said, he was my platform, then I got exposed to this big world. So now as a company, we feel that's our duty too, is a, is a lot of exposure, exposure through storytelling, exposure through experiences, exposure through job creation at our company. We have you come to our company, there's people from all over the country, all right. different walks of life. All right, well, that is a part of my conversation, actually part of the February conversation I had in Los Angeles with LeBron James and Maverick Carter, Maverick being the second voice you heard there. Let's bring in Joel Weber, the editor of Bloomberg Business Week. And Carol, not to turn this uh, too much into a love fest, but I cannot say enough good things about Joel Weber on this story because he has been my partner through all of this and just a relentless supporter. Uh, I'm so grateful to him and uh, so happy to have him. He's so exhausted. He had to go take a vacation in Massachusetts. <laughs> he had to leave Brooklyn and take a break, Jason Kelly. <laughs> I wore him out. I wore him out. Uh, so Joel, I mean, let's talk about this. What what was your story. thought when we started talking about it? Um, what, how, how is how does LeBron James get a hundred million dollars, and then what does he do with it? Yeah. And I, you know, that that remains like, um, you know, I think this really interesting business decision. And uh, talk about the most perfect moment in the world to to have um, uh, capital at your back and have this big idea and a strategy that they're going to execute. Uh, I, I just think it's going to be a kind of uh, a, just a, a behemoth. Um, 
and Jason, I think, you know, one of the ways that you sort of were able to articulate this was it's a little bit of a, a mashup of sort of how, you know, you, you said like one inspiration is kind of Disney, frankly, yeah, I, which is obviously in their backyard um, in, in L.A. Uh, when you talk to them, what, what kind of uh, what kind of strategy do you feel like they're going to unveil uh, going forward in, in regarding content? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because throughout this whole process, you and I and Jim Ailey, one of the senior editors, one of your deputies on Bloomberg Business Week, we would get together when we used to be able to get together and say, so what is this thing? And 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 it's it's a great question. And it is, you know, Maverick Carter calls it a house of brands. And Jim Ailey actually was the one who came up with this nice thing in the story where I, I think we say it's, you know, it's part Disney, it's part Nike, it's part Patagonia in some ways, Carol, because I there is the this social that. mission yeah. uh, underneath it that obviously has come to the fore, I think, especially right now. Can I just say, first of all, the cover, when Jason shared it with me, Dahl, like it's spectacular and it just made me stop. And I think I've been thinking so much really deeply as many of us have been certainly about the virus and the impact and the inequalities that have been, you know, laid bare. And then, of course, what happened in Minneapolis and racism and talking about things over the last month. And I just felt like, man, you know, we need to see more companies like LeBron and Maverick Carter are building, right, where diversity is just intrinsic to what they're doing. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and to be clear, you we you know we shot Maverick and LeBron together, and um, I did have this thought, which was like, we shot them before the pandemic, and you know they're very up close and comfortable. Right. They are not the socially distanced. They are not, they are not socially distanced. They are not wearing a mask, but it was taken uh, before killer. the pandemic hit. It's so great. And you know, um, Jason and I had a nice little tug of war of like, do you do do you do LeBron solo or do you do Maverick <laughs> and LeBron? And I was like, you're crazy. Like LeBron is the arguably the most recognizable human on the planet. Like how could you not do him uh, solo? And and I think Jason made a really strong point, which I you know we we ended up reinforcing with the cover line, which became the king and and the CEO, which is he didn't build this thing on his own, right? It, right. And he's got a network, Maverick. And he have been together for years. You know they 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 go back to Akron high school days together. And, you know, Maverick um, has been with him. And, you know, even like the decision when uh, LeBron announced that he was going uh, to Miami, taking his talents to South Beach, you know, Maverick was was there. And I also think that speaks to like the journey that they've been on, because I think that they would acknowledge that that didn't go well, but it was a learning experience and it helps inform how they make business decisions today and going forward, because I'm sure there will be more. It it's absolutely does. Yeah. Well, uh, our thanks to Joel Weber, my personal thanks to Joel Weber, uh, the editor of Bloomberg Business Week. He and I have been doing this together back when he was an editor on Bloomberg Markets, then the editor of Bloomberg Markets. Now, of course, the editor. My garden of has grown in the time that you guys have been working on this. I'm just saying. <laughs> We've been working on this one for a long time, but really happy it got over the finish line. It's and great. Uh, anyway, it's great Joel reporting. Weber uh, joining us from Massachusetts. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly. On Bloomberg Radio. So I have to say that this story definitely caught my attention. Um, and maybe because last night I was kind of actually looking at the cannabis industry and the CBD consumer industry. I did not industry. know where you were going there. It's like, 
Last night, it's been a long week already. It was Wednesday. My husband and I sat down. No, no, no. But what's interesting is there is someone that we talk to a lot about the cannabis industry, especially CBD consumer, um, who is no longer CEO of that company anymore. So we've seen some fallout. Uh, the industry definitely going through some growing pains. Um, this story on the Bloomberg this morning about Pot M&A's mystery antitrust reviews linked to a crackdown by the U.S. Attorney General William Barr. I wanted to do this story. David McLaughlin is with us. He's Department of Justice reporter at Bloomberg News. He joins us on the phone in Washington, D.C. So, David, what's going on? Right. So um, there was a hearing uh, yesterday about uh, on Capitol Hill about politicization of the Justice Department under Attorney General William Barr and you know, most of the focus on the hearing was was about Roger Stone, but but there was this interesting uh, piece of it that was focused on marijuana mergers, cannabis mergers, and according to this whistleblower who who testified, and uh, he's a lawyer inside the in the Justice Department's antitrust division, he said that uh, Attorney General William Barr ordered basically special scrutiny of these mergers because he had a sort of personal dislike for the industry. And so that was unusual because... Because um, you can't do that? It's pretty, pretty <laughs> fragmented. You know, it, it, there's not, you know, there are many companies. It's not like a consolidated industry right. like, you know, mobile phones uh, carriers or, or other industries that might get kind of a lot of attention. Um, so this was kind of strange at the time. And now we know, now we know why, according, you know, this whistleblower is correct. Well, you know, I was going to ask you an- another question about the the weed business, David. But but I have to say, uh, what you said leads me in another direction, which I think you you know the story so well. Which is this is a different sort of Department of Justice that we're seeing. Fair to say, or a different uh, or a different <laughs> Attorney General, <laughs> maybe is or more both. Point. Yeah, or both. Yeah, of course. I mean, this um, a lot of controversy about. Uh, the Justice Department right now, um, sort, of, sort of obviously the, the high-profile uh, cases are things like Roger Stone and Michael Flynn and um, William Barr's uh, involvement in, in both of those cases. Uh, that's gotten a lot of the headlines. But uh, in terms of you know, business cases uh, and antitrust, uh, there's been controversy there too so if you go back to the the beginning of the administration there was controversy about um the justice department tried to block at&t's takeover of time warner and that got caught up on under or over uh, trump's criticism of cnn was that political um there was controversy about an investigation into the automakers for automakers that reached uh, an agreement with california about uh, emissions that Trump didn't like, and then the Justice Department opened an investigation. So that seemed very political. Right. You have this marijuana case. There are many of them, and so these these this criticism keeps coming up. But what I think about for the marijuana industry, right? It's a nascent industry. It's definitely gone through, no pun intended, you know, growing pains. We saw an explosion, you know, whether it was Canadian companies and U.S. companies. We talked about, you know, Jason and I would have a lot of guests, CEOs who are running different companies, you know, 
and most I think we're pointing to, you were going to have to see consolidation, right, and really create stronger players. It just made sense, you know, to be able to deal with, especially because the regulatory environment was taking so long to kind of get its act together. And I do wonder what role potentially, David, that this kind of slowdown potentially by the U.S. Attorney General, what impact it's had on the industry, unfairly so, perhaps. Right. So, you know, these reviews, because they were uh, ordered by by uh, AG Barr, uh, these in-depth invest- investigations of mergers can be really burdensome. So, like, we interviewed um, uh, the head of one of these companies, he talked about how, you know, responding to this, you know, the Justice Department's request for information costs, you know, millions of dollars. It takes many, many months to satisfy the government's questions and their demands for information. So that kind of uncertainty, I mean, that is bad for really for any merger, um, yeah. that kind of waiting period. Um, but in this case, um a lot of companies were getting uh, were being affected by it, and so, in fact, one of the deals, even though it eventually got approval, the companies blamed this delay for having to uh, ultimately terminate the merger. Wow. Yeah. I mean, this is having real world consequences for these companies in an industry that, and we know this, Carolyn, you mentioned this from the Bloomberg 50 and others, mm-hmm. has been booming uh, in many ways, certainly in Canada and across the United States as well. Uh, some really nice reporting. Thank you so much. David McLaughlin, Department of Justice reporter for Bloomberg News on Pot M&A's mystery antitrust review. Well, they are going back to AG Bar. Yeah. Wow. And don't you feel nice like to take us out. <laughs> but don't you feel like for so long we were constantly doing interviews with CEOs and I feel like the momentum has slowed down. Oh. Like we even had the conversations. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it was a very acquisitive industry. I mean, that's how it was getting built. Bobby D. Just let it play. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive on. Excuse me, I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That funky music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. It is time for the drive to the close. Back with us is Alan Lance. He is research director at LanceGlobal.com, president of Allenby Lance and Associates. Alan joining us once again on the phone from Toledo, Ohio. Alan, great to have you here again with Jason and myself. I was looking at my notes that you sent over, and you are, Lance Global, that is, at its highest cash level since late summer 2007. Not because you're a bear, though, because of profit-taking. Yes, you know this has been pretty predictable. Uh, you know, COVID. Uh, you know, as the way the market has gone, and 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 basically, Carol, what we've seen is that uh, initially the market hit new highs into February, even though people were aware of COVID. They, most investors underestimated the impact, and and then uh, as the sell-off began, uh, you know, what we did is we focused on uh, companies that we thought that would come out of the pandemic even stronger than they went into. So we were buying the Amazons and the weakness and, and, and UPS. And Amazon had only a few days of weakness, really, and it was gone straight up since UPS has been up mm-hmm. and down. So we just stuck to our price parameters. 
And then uh, as the sell-off intensified, we bought the Fortress balance sheet uh, companies and into the depths of, 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 of the sell-off, uh, we started buying the cyclicals. Uh, our latest purchases last month were the travel industry, which we avoided the whole way through, and um, those had really rebounded in, in the past few weeks, and, and we took profits this week on, in them, figuring that uh, it's going to be a long way before the even international routes are, are going to be uh, uh, anywhere back to normal. I mean, we're talking a year or two, and a lot of those stocks had really uh, surged and, and rebounded quite impressively, actually more so than we expected. Uh, and, uh, you know, we thought that uh, profit-taking was warranted. And so, Alan, how much do you worry about a, a second wave when it comes to coronavirus here, affecting especially some of those particular names you're talking about? Yeah, definitely, Jason, and that's why we, we got out of the, the travel um, uh, as far as uh, sector completely. Anything related to, to travel, uh, we'd recommend uh, avoiding or at least being uh, dramatically underweight. And, uh, you know, I, right now what, what we're, we were buying like today is uh, like a Pfizer under 32 where it has a, you know, three and a half, three and three quarter percent yield, uh, Merck at 75, um, you know, uh, boring companies like uh, IBM at 115 with a, a five and three quarter percent yield, or, or we added Coke for the first time in years, uh, trading at 43, 44 with, you know, again, a very impressive yield. Boring companies, but I think, uh, you know, I'd rather have that in, into a second wave than, than owning uh, a cruise, uh, you know, company or, or an airline at, at this stage. And, and if you own the S&P 500, if you're a passive investor, I mean, you own a lot of airlines, a lot of cruise companies. And, and uh, you know, if, if you weren't uh, smart enough to take profits in, in February when the market was hitting all-time highs, I think this is a gift here where, where uh, some of these travel-related companies have – not really factored in a second wave. And as we see that more and more here, I, I, I think there's more risk than reward. And that's what we really look at with each investment. Yeah, I mean, is it safe to say, Alan, I don't know how you look at this. And obviously, you're looking at, you know, individual stocks and what, whether it makes sense or not to, to own them at this point. But you've got to look at an industry like airline or hospitality. I mean, we're already seeing it, certainly the fringes of retail, increasingly companies that were just on the edge, you know, either filing for bankruptcy. But what about when it comes to the airline industry? Do you anticipate that there might be a big name that just doesn't make it through? Well, that's been the amazing thing, this flood of liquidity, Carol, you know, between the central banks, the Fed, and, and even, you know, uh, uh, as, as far as uh, in the uh, markets in, in general, uh, there hasn't been a really a problem of raising uh, uh, monies in this environment. And that is really, I think, what fueled these uh, travel and hospitality-related stocks to, to, to really surge beyond what we expected. And like I said, I, I consider that as a gift because, I mean, they are getting money. Interest rates are low. It's cheap. And, and you know, it might they might avoid bankruptcy, but, boy, I, it's going to be a difficult environment. And I'd much rather be in the names that I just talked about and buying those in the weakness than, than yeah. uh, chasing uh, airlines or, or, or um, you know, the cruise cruise companies at this stage. Got to pay back the debt. I'm just going to yeah, say at some absolutely. point. <laughs> in some form exactly. fashion. Yeah. So Alan, before we let you go, you mentioned a couple names coming into the top of this, but uh, tech stocks, I mean, just defying gravity and, and leading the way in so many cases. It, how do you play that at, at this point in the cycle? And at this point in the pandemic, I guess. 
Well, it's really difficult. We we've uh, transferred a gotten a lot of new accounts, and you know they, they might have the Nasdaq uh, QQQs, and they might have the S and P. And the way we play that is we keep the Nasdaq uh, and then uh, sell the S and P because we don't want those travel related companies. So so we like tech, we like healthcare, and healthcare is underperformed. And even the financials will probably be the next area if you see a sell off that will buy just again the highest quality companies that have a good strong income stream but i think that's the best way to play it is just mm. to be smart and use these extreme uh as far as moves up and down to your advantage so so when you have eight straight days up on the nasdaq you know uh take some profits and and then uh you know when you get these uh sell-offs uh you know try to uh prepare your buy list and, and accumulate uh wisely and i think that's going to be you know the difference maker in the, the balance of this year and into 2021 the disciplined investor is going to do a lot right. better than the passive investor or or the uh the, the investor that's chasing momentum don't be too greedy either <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Strong stomach this market takes. All right, Alan Lance. I sound like Yoda just then. Uh, Director of Research for LanceGlobal.com, president of Allen B. Lance and Associates. Uh, joining us on the phone from Toledo, Ohio. Be better Yoda than Darth, That's I'm just going to say. Strong stomach this market takes. I don't even know what I'm doing at this point. I'm so tired. You need sleep. You need I sleep. I do. Exactly. Um, we're going to count everybody down to the closing bell. Even though we're kind of up near our highs of the session, I was just looking at the weekly numbers. Dow S&P are down a little bit, about seven-tenths of a percent for the week overall. NASDAQ's a little bit higher. We still have another day to go, but that's been the tone this week, Jason. I don't know who is, what's going on with the music today, but it is inspired. It's like my playlist. Like, I just want I this playlist, and I'm going to go sit out back. Can I just do that? A little Ohio here. Neil Young. Great stuff. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can always listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio or watch us on YouTube by searching Bloomberg Global News.